Take your Bibles this morning, turn to Acts chapter 1, if you will. Read the first uh, eight verses of this first chapter of the book of Acts and ask the Lord for help in communicating to us this morning some of the principles of His Word. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. The former treaty, which is a reference to the book of Luke, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, and this is a key word, began both to do and to teach, until the day in which He was taken up, after that He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom He had chosen, to whom He also showed Himself alive after His passion, or His death, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking in that time of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, when wilt thou, uh, Lord, when wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? This was the question that was constantly on their mind. When will your kingdom come? Verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in his own power. And then this conjunction, but. He says, here's where I want your, your attention instead. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall, and shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Our Heavenly Father, I, I pray in these next few moments that, Lord, we are here together as a church family. Lord, as we consider these eight verses, and Lord, this Word of God, which gives to us, Lord, much of our priority, our mission, Lord, the heartbeat we are to have. Lord, I pray you'd help all of us together to evaluate. Lord, do we share this missional mindset? And Lord, where we need to grow, where we need to improve, Lord, where we need to adopt more of your heart, Lord, please help us to do so. I pray you'd help us to share more, Lord, of your priority and spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. Of course, you can be seated. We learn from the book of Acts and also the Corinthian letters that Luke, the doctor, was a companion of the Apostle Paul on a number of his latter missionary endeavors. Luke himself had not been an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, but he did travel in the company of men who had been. At some point, Luke himself became a Christian, and of course, having a very special skill set, being a physician, a doctor, he was a great value to the Apostle Paul and others in this early uh, church. He surrendered his life to Christian service, and he was, of course, a great help to Paul 
and many others in those early days. Luke's greatest historic contribution to Christianity was his authorship of two books, you know, honestly two letters, written to a man named Theophilus. And that's a common um, Roman name that simply means the beloved. Luke was trying to instruct this man in the faith to give him greater encouragement and affirmation. And again, Theophilus was a, a common name. And most historians believe that Theophilus was probably a semi-high-ranking Roman official. Uh, this is a man that Luke himself could have won to Christ. We know this, that this man Theophilus was the singular, the singular recipient of both of these letters. And probably a man of considerable resource, it may have been in the mind of Luke, that he could have sponsored these letters to distribute them to a wider audience. And of course, we know that evidently happened. And so between Luke and Theophilus um, and God inspiring this word between these men, uh, we have two books or two letters that are part of the Word of God. And Acts begins by rehearsing in this first chapter uh, really the previous chapter in Luke 24. And we read that last week. And it's an important chapter to understand what is happening in Acts chapter 1. There Jesus had appeared to the disciples after His resurrection. The disciples were really not doing very well. They were huddled together in a room um, in, in really fear and trepidation that they too could be apprehended by the Romans. These men at this moment of Jesus appearing still lacked courage. They had forfeited their loyalty to Christ. And they were really confused, surprisingly, at the events of Christ's death. They, they just kept thinking that somehow Jesus would usher in you know, Israel's millennial reign. They, they, they just struggled to grasp that His mission was greater. It was, it was really about ushering in the Kingdom of God to the entire world. Luke 24, 21 states that they had trusted, speaking of the disciples, that it had been He, Jesus, which should have redeemed Israel. And so when He died, they thought, there goes our chance at being again this prominent nation in the world. Despite all that Jesus had taught them, they thought that His death was the end of their hope. But word began to spread. Uh, two disciples, not the twelve, but two men on the day of Jesus' resurrection. Well, I think we know the story. Uh, they were walking down the road and then this man began to walk with them and rehearsing all that had happened that day. And then later that evening, Jesus revealed Himself that He was the risen Lord. These men, in great excitement, went and told the disciples. In, in close proximity, there was a report from these women who had come back from the grave that Jesus wasn't there, that He had risen. And these men were in confusion at all these events. They, they just didn't understand what was happening. And, and so in Luke 24, 36, um, you know, we see the Lord, the Bible says, appears in the midst of them. You know, it, it's, it's a miraculous appearance. They hear the reports, they're trying to understand it, and all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is there. And in this text, Jesus mildly rebukes them for their fear and ignorance. And He presents His physical body to them as a proof of His resurrections. And He says, handle me. And He eats food. He's, he's giving proof and evidence of His physical bodily resurrection. And then once again, He rehearses God's plan uh, to them. 
and that he would redeem Israel one day. But God's plan now was for the redemption of the whole world through his atoning work. Luke 24, 45, um, you know, he opens their understanding, the Bible says, and he says, you witnessed my life, my work, my death, and my resurrection now. You now need to understand because I need you to go forth and be my witness to the world. And he gives them some specific instruction. And he says, I am going to send you not many days since you stay right here in Jerusalem. I need you to tarry here and wait. I'm going to send you a source of power for the responsibility of the mission that I have given you to take my truth to be my witness to the whole world. Now, this promise was the promise of a power that Jesus Christ himself had, and that was the fullness and the presence of the Holy Spirit himself, a member of the triune Godhead. This was something that the old prophets understood. In Joel chapter 2, 28, it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. So after giving this promise of this power to come through the person of the Holy Spirit to energize them in their mission, you know, Jesus then removed from them and ascends up into heaven once again. So Acts chapter 1 takes up the story from that point going forward. It looks back on all that Jesus had done in Luke's narrative. And it points now forward to all that he would continue to do. And, and I, I want us to understand that point. Luke tells us all that Jesus had done. Acts tells us all that Jesus would continue to do Amen. through us. And that's the point of Acts. It's what Jesus had done in Luke and all now that he would do through us, energized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He told them to wait. And over the next 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus continually presented himself to the disciples and others as a proof of his claim of deity and his claims of his mission um, of you know, seeing the whole world saved. And he wanted many people to be eyewitnesses of this account. The Apostle Paul, preaching about this 40-day time, said this in 1 Corinthians 15. And that he, Jesus, was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, and then of the twelve. And after that he was seen above 500 brethren at once. And then after that he was seen of James and then of all the apostles, and then last of all, he was seen of me also. And in this time, this 40 day, he reminded them again of his commandment in Luke to wait for the promise from the Father, which he had rehearsed before, reminding them that the coming Holy Spirit would immerse them in a baptism. Yeah, the word baptismo means to immerse, to put under. It's a type of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then it's a type of resurrection out of death. But it, 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 the baptism here is the idea of an immersive experience 
that overwhelms, that covers you over, that is, that is different than anything else you've experienced before. Jesus reminds them during this 40 day period that the Holy Spirit would come and immerse them in a far greater way than even uh, John the Baptist did in water, water baptism. For that water simply washed the body. It was, it was, a, it was a picture, a type. But when the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to overwhelm you in power. And in some final conversation before his ascension, <laughs> these men were stubborn. They asked him once again. This is the idea. Now, Lord, when we get this power, at that time will you restore the kingdom of Israel again? They were, these were, this is a stubborn group of guys. It'll be a major point here in a moment. Lord, will you at that time, assuming that he met the baptism of the Holy Spirit, at that time will you fulfill your promise of restoring Israel again. And Jesus in verse 7 gives somewhat of a mild rebuff yet again and essentially tells them, hey guys, you're focusing on the wrong thing. He doesn't say, I'm not, because one day we know He will. In a second advent, Jesus will initiate this kingdom, not just from Israel, but for all of us in an earthly rule. But He says this, you're still focused on the political. You're still focused on the nationalistic and your redemption as a nation. You, you have this really small vision. Instead, I want you focused on the redemption of humanity in all the world. My kingdom will be beyond political, beyond national. When the Holy Ghost is come upon you, you shall be witnesses. The word means marchers. It was a term used almost exclusively for the twelve apostles. In, in, in the New Testament, in the mission I've called you to, but I'm calling you to the mission of seeing the kingdom of God come to a much larger audience than just the nation of Israel. I want you to be my witnesses of God's coming kingdom and invite people, people to be participants of that to the whole world. Now, I, I want you to start in this mission in Jerusalem, right here where you're at. And then I, I want that to expand beyond uh, this place into you know, Judea, and then Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. I, I'm not coming back just to establish a millennial reign for Israel only, but for all those who would believe and choose to be participants in that kingdom. I'm asking you to give your life for that cause. So Acts begins with a summary, a look back at the life and work of Christ and all that he began to do and teach. And then, really, he's preparing Theophilus, who it's written to. And, of course, then we get to receive it as part of the Word of God. All that Jesus plans to continue to do. And, again, I, I want to rehearse this numbers of time. It's important to understand. Luke is saying this in Acts. Jesus' work isn't finished. Yes, he's lived. He's died. He's presented himself. He's going to rise again. But the work of Jesus isn't finished. And I want to say to you, the membership of Eastland Baptist Church, the work of Jesus Christ is not finished. His atoning work is completed. He can do more than he has done to secure the salvation of our souls. He's made every provision that can ever be made 
for the forgiveness of sins, for us to become citizens of heaven. But this work of expansion, of including others in the coming kingdom of God is ongoing. And he appointed the disciples to this grand mission of inviting others. And he is inviting us by extension to invite others as well. Jesus' work is not finished. It is going forward. We today, as they were to be 2,000 years ago, to be his ambassadors, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The point Luke is making is this, that during his life on earth, Jesus, Jesus made this claim. He tells us this in Luke chapter 4, I think verse 1 and verse 14. He made this specific point, and he tells them, I am full of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, Jesus, this is where Jesus claimed his power come from. I am full of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what empowered my miracles. This is what empowered my life. This is what empowered my teaching. And he says, now I want you to wait to receive the same power that I had. So you can do what I did while I was alive. I want you to be my ambassadors and my witnesses. Now he, Jesus, is going to give you that same power to be his representatives to teach as he did when he was alive. He's saying this, my power is going to be your power. And my mission is to be your mission. And I want that to be true until I come again. And so Acts is a historical record of God's working in that mission through the early church. Now there are many things we'll discover that were historic. They were intended to be a singular, isolated, unique experience. Much like this baptism at the day of Pentecost and that baptism. However, there is a heart of priorities that we see in the book of Acts. There is a mission, and this priority and this mission is timeless. It is something that is to be shared by all of those who choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And begin this morning, I want to begin to lift those principles from this text for our benefit and edification, and I'm going to suggest a few this morning. And the first of these principles this morning is this, that the work of Jesus Christ is still ongoing and for our part incomplete. Now, I want us to do real serious business with this in the coming weeks. The mission of Jesus, whom you and I represent as ambassadors, as witnesses, is still ongoing. The text labors to impress upon us that while the atoning work of Jesus Christ is completed, and his lifeblood was given, and then he rose again, that he still has an offer that he is extending to all those who remain today and until he comes again. It is the, this offer of an extending invitation for you and I and, and, and everyone who's alive to be a part of the coming kingdom of God. Much of the heart of Jesus' message when he was alive was simply extending this invitation. The gospel is, is, is this idea, of, yes, it's about the forgiveness of sins. And it's about how we find redemption in his blood. But it's also this, do you want to be a part of the coming kingdom? 
Do you want to be part of the earth's eternal plan of God? Do you want to be a citizen of heaven forever? What God's, the Jesus message in God was this, is do you want to be part of what God is going to be doing both now and in the future and in all of eternity? Will you be a participant in God's plan? Now, of course, we understand that our sin presents an overwhelming obstacle in being a part of God's plan, of being part of His kingdom. And that's why Jesus provided the atonement, the ability for you and I to find forgiveness of our sinful nature in His work. Jesus took upon Himself on the cross our sins, and when we accept Him uh, by grace through faith, and He gives us His righteousness. But all this was done to be able to make us citizens of the coming kingdom, to be able to fellowship with God. Now, we understand historically that as a whole, Israel, Israel rejected this offer. They just couldn't understand the Messiah coming in this way. But as a rule, the Gentiles were much more willing to embrace the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we just finished a study in the book of Revelation, and we know that there is a coming day when Israel will experience a grand national revival and when Jesus returns, both Jew and Gentile will be prepared to take a part in the coming kingdom of God, in the millennial reign, and then on to eternity. The point, though, is Jesus expected the apostles, and by extension, us, to be his representatives. It is true that the apostles played a very singular, unique role, and I'll talk about this in the coming weeks, that he gave them a very special ministry. It was part of helping the Jews make a connection between the Old Testament and the New, that those promises were really being interpreted in the events that were happening right now. But from many other texts, we also learned that God expects you and I to be his ambassadors, to be his representatives, to be those who extend an invitation to others to be part of the coming kingdom of God, to be saved and forgiven and to made eligible to be a part of eternity and all that God is doing. Now, I can say all that more simply. Jesus Christ was missional. And, and, and I know that can be a contemporary word. And I, I, I know it's, it's something we can lose sight of. And I, I started this series by explaining to you last week that I want you and me, and as a church family, to look in the mirror of how we're conducting business as a church and to evaluate ourselves, not in comparison among other people, but by comparison to this Word of God. And I want to say to you that Jesus Christ Himself was incredibly missional. He had a mission. And He asked these early apostles to be martyrs. The word martyr literally means life giver. It means one who gives his life for a cause, even unto death. These men, if you examine their lives, were incredibly missional. Now, I, I want to present to you the idea of missional versus the idea of churchgoer. The idea of missional rather than scratching a religious itch. I want to compare the idea of being a martyr, giving our life for a cause, versus casual Christianity. Because you and I have been called, just as the early apostles were, to be missional. 
to have a mission that's ongoing uh, every day of our lives, to give our lives, our effort, our energy, our finances, our resources to inviting other people to be part of the kingdom of God. It is the most important thing we can do. He was missional, they were missional, and we are to be as well. He intends for us to carry on that mission. Luke, Luke records for us all that Jesus began to do. Acts presents all that he still intends to do through the apostles and through the membership of those who attend Eastland Baptist Church through us. Jesus' work is to continue through you and me. The church age is that time between the first and second advent of Christ. It's simply a time of extending invitation to others, to the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, the Messiah that is coming for this earth. As a matter of fact, he could come back today and initiate that rule and reign just a few years after he catches up to get us together in the clouds with him. Jesus wants us to take on that mission and he wants us to be concerned not about when that's going to happen. He wants to have a far greater concern about who's going to be there when it does happen. The times and dates, he says, that's not nearly important. That's who's going to be there. Now look up here. And who's going to be there because of you? That's what he wants them to understand. Paul said it this way, we are ambassadors in Christ's stead to call men to reconciliation, a right relationship with God. That was his life. That was their calling. It is our primary task as well. People should be present at the kingdom because of the work of Eastland Baptist Church. And the second point this morning is this. We are to do that work in God's power. Unlike any other work under the sun, what we are called to do is bigger than us. It's beyond us. You, I, I, I can't, it's not in me to save someone. I don't have the power to give redemption. I can't help someone else have a new life. But Jesus can. And that work that requires the impetus of the Holy Spirit working in the life of others simply requires me to present the gospel that can be hidden in their heart so the Holy Spirit and His agency can come in there and take what I planted and what I've watered and to give it life. But they have to have that seed planted. They have to have enough of that truth for the Holy Spirit to work within their hearts and in their lives. We simply lack what is required. We, we can plant, we can sow, we can water, but it is God and God alone who gives the increase. We can only invite, but God and the Holy Spirit have the ability to change men's hearts with that seed that is planted. But this is problematic for us. It's really easy for us as an organization, as an individual to get off course here. And by that I mean doing God's work in His power. Just as the disciples tried to be faithful, they tried to be loyal in their own strength, and of course we know they ultimately failed, you and I too can give extraordinary human effort, time, dollars, and, and, and a whole lot of activity that is ultimately doomed to fail if Jesus isn't part of the equation. 
the text again labors to point out to disciples that they needed to wait until they had the, re the resources that God alone could provide for them to be able to do this work. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit. The point that it was better to wait and do God's work with His help than to rush on and try to do His work without the Holy Spirit's power. Running ahead is something that humanity does all the time. I want us to do things decently in order. I want us to offer good programs. I want us to be thoughtful. I, I, I like our bulletin to be edited. I want it to look sharp. I want the carpet to be clean. I want the building to look sharp. I want the outward and external representations of who and what we are to be a good testimony. But all that is a kind of adornment, as 1 Peter says. It, it, it gives kind of a credibility. But all of that is not the source of our power. It's not. It's not, it's not that it's evil. It's not that it's bad. It, is, it could be benign. It could even be a positive that, that is a help. But it's not all about methodology. Methodology should be right. It should honor God. It should, be, it should be taken from the Word of God. But we can run ahead and substitute program and entertainment and organization and style in preference of the day to try to attract people to the gospel. But what people need to know is the truth heard from one person. It's, it's one beggar telling some other beggar where to find bread and then letting God feed them and change them and grow them. That's what makes a difference. No method, no matter how orthodox it might be, void of the Holy Spirit power will never give us eternal results. See, it's supposed to be like this. I, I, I want to get this vision. See, I can go, Mike, I can, I, I can come talk to you. And it could be Troy Durrell talking to Mike. But if I back up here and I get on my knees and pray, and I get my life right with God, and I do business with Him, and I invite His help and His agency and presence, then I may go out then, and it may be Troy Durrell speaking to Mike, but Mike now hears the voice of Jesus Christ. There may be the presence of Troy Durrell, but that man sees God. And that's the difference in the Holy Spirit being part of the equation. We can give an incredible presentation up here that's, that's been practiced and rehearsed. But when that choir, would, if, if the members of that choir would get on their knees the morning of the presentation of a song, then someone out there might just hear more than 70 people singing. They may hear the voice of Jesus talking to them. Do you understand that? See, that's what we want to happen. We're just a vessel. What we carry is Christ. That's what we're supposed to carry. When we act in compassion for the Holy Spirit, they may feel Jesus' compassion. When we speak, they need to hear God. And that is supposed to still be true today. That's what I think the Bible means by His ambassadors. In other words, a man's representative is supposed to look like him, supposed to speak like him, to have his authority and power. 
That's what God calls us to. I don't understand all the way that God works. Part of that's mystical and spiritual and supernatural. I just know this, when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, people can see and hear Jesus. When we are living lives full of the Spirit, when we are not quenching the Spirit, when we are not violating the Holy Spirit, then the picture clears up and what people see is Christ. If we lack any persuasiveness, it may not be in word, it may not be in articulate ability, but rather it may be that we don't have the Holy Spirit of God we can. And it's not this, we don't need more of the Holy Spirit. We have all that we're ever going to get. We just need to clear the picture up so people can see Him. And we cloud it so much with a worldly lifestyle and sin. Lord, help us to be His ambassadors. And then finally, I'm going to use a word here, but I want you to think. The text presents a, a, a paradigm of living, a, a way of living, a principle of living that is not parochial. That is not parochial. Now, by definition, the word, the word parochial means this, not having a limited or narrow outlook or scope. It means not being provincial. And by that again, not just being only concerned with that which is local and immediate. You with me? This was, this was the disciples' problem. When are you going to restore the kingdom? When are you going to restore the kingdom? When is Israel going to be uplifted? When is the nation going to be the center of the world? When are you coming back for us? What are you going to do for us? And the Lord's like, no, no, no. I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, yes, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then in the uttermost parts of the world. Stop being so parochial. Stop being so provincial. Stop being so narrow-minded and short-sighted. Stop having such a small, limited goal. Lift up your eyes upon a far larger harvest, a far larger effort, a far larger goal. The, the book of Acts presents to us a worldwide mission. It is so easy for us, and this isn't a great evil, but so easy for us to be happy with us. Hey, listen, I love coming to the services of Eastland Baptist Church. I enjoy Sunday morning. I, I enjoy Sunday night. I enjoy Wednesday night. But there is more than that that we are called to. That cannot be the sum totality of our Christian investment and in, in what we give our lives to. I'm all about what we do here, and I'm all about devotion. I'm all about growing. I'm all about teaching. But there is more for us than that which is provincial. We can make the mission, if we're not careful, all about us. We can spend all of our dollars on us. All of our programs can be for us. I want you to consider this thought. The church should be the one organization in the world that exists in great measure for the benefit of non-members. Now, did you get that? The church should be the one organization in the world whose primary goal and effort should be to give something to people other than its members. Hey, we need to get something when we're here. But we need to give something too. 
There was once upon a time in Baptist history where that vision was lost. And it took a man named William Carey to shake the Baptists who, were, who he argued with and who were stubborn. They were a stubborn audience and they had a parochial, provincial concern. And they said literally, let the heathen take care of themselves. And William Carey argued, that is not what I find in the Word of God. We have an obligation. There's an obligatory missional mindset that the membership of God's kingdom is supposed to have. And that can be described as evangelism, as a mission of giving invitation to others. You and I would never say that we're provincial, that we're parochial. But when you and I make this hour our only Christian obligation, that is exactly what we're doing. I'm not trying to be unkind or I, I hate guilt and blame. I just want you to think about it. When we make this hour or the three or four hours we meet a week, really the only outworking of our Christian obligation, we absolutely are parochial. It's about us. It's about me. When there's no evangelism, when we don't give to missions, when there's no invitations going out, when you and I are not inviting others to church, that is what we are doing. The challenge in the days ahead is to genuinely be Holy Spirit-filled members of the kingdom of God, inviting others to be a part. I want us to evaluate ourselves by that objective criteria. What work do we do out there? Who's going to join you and I in a church service at, Engl at Eastland, but more importantly, in the kingdom of God that is coming? Church family, this is what we're called to. I want this to be everything that it can be so that we can reach as many people out there as we can. And I think we can do a better job. I am inviting you to be more missional. And so God help us to be that. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning.